All right, we're back. L.A., Austin, Chase Marcini, Robert Rahil, Growth Vault, Episode 2. It's going to be epic. So we're going to talk about brand as a product today. And Rob is reading this incredible book that I'm not going to spoil, but um, we're going to talk about how it works in here. And I'm teasing it right now. So you got to stay probably till minute 32. Power Uh, and prediction. That's what it is. Yeah. Our prediction. Yeah, I saw I saw that Our the title when you sent it over to me. One thing I don't think Rob and I have done much publicly is talk about kind of our histories and why we might have unique perspectives on B2B SaaS. We don't come originally from the tech world. And so I'm going to kick it over to you, Rob, to kind of give like, what's the background, man? I, I've obviously looked at your CV. You and I have talked about it a little bit, but I think it's such an interesting thing to talk about kind of the I don't know, the snake-like path that we take to get to the place we are and like how you have built some of the expertise that you've built over time to be able to play in the DTC and e-commerce world, but also into SaaS. So like, let's dive in, man. Yeah, absolutely. First, can we recognize how awesome you are as a human? So uh, this wonderful man sent oh. me this gorgeous, look at this thing, gorgeous liquid death gift card. I'm yeah. talking, this is nicer than my Amex Platinum. Yeah. Weird flex, but... It's yeah. true. Like, okay. I don't, you guys probably can't hear that. Let me see if you can get on the mic. Oh, it yeah. is so solid and so nice. And we'll get into brand as a product a little bit later, but that's just such an interesting dovetail in the sense of you couldn't buy a digital one. They wanted you to really be able to control the experience. This is why I have an argument that Liquid Death is not an actual premium product. It's a luxury product. Yeah. So we maybe that's a, another podcast for another day. But Back to the question at hand. Yeah, man. So I have a really, really weird trajectory, but I think a lot of people do, honestly. So I originally went to school. So I'm from Indiana. I originally went to school to become an investment banker. Then I realized I didn't want to be an investment banker. So I graduated with an economics degree. And then, you know, candidly, dude, I was a little bit lost. So I graduated in, oh, what is that? 08? I'm old. So yeah, I graduated in 08. And that was like not a great time to graduate <laughs> university. Um, so for all those kids out there, and there's essentially this, this huge economic meltdown with the housing crisis, et cetera. I mean, it was, wasn't really great times then. So I actually got a, my old job that I left, or the j- job I had before I went to school, selling women's shoes at Nordstrom. And so that was a really like not the greatest place to be. Eventually, I realized like, okay, cool. This is, I got to do something. So I got really into tech. So I was coding websites, designing websites, doing AWS stuff, building all these kind of just crazy things for people. Then I got really into photography. And then that kind of all coalesced uh, with this wonderful woman named Stevie Gangora. She's uh, the wife of one of my best friends, Ben House. And she was a big uh, Instagrammer. She was a, a big yogi on Instagram, make, you know, half a million followers kind of thing. We're not massive, but substantial type of yeah. thing. And, and the following, yeah, yeah, and the following was passionate as well. Yeah. So it was almost like, anyways, too long didn't read. We ended up doing ebook together. Her one of her big shticks was like handstands, and so I flew mm-hmm. out to Costa Rica, did this whole ebook, did the photography, did the design. This is also kind of just a little side note of get it done. I actually hadn't taught myself yet Adobe Suite. So I actually designed this like 100 plus page ebook in Canva. Let's go. All the subsequent ones I ended up doing like an InDesign and like, but it was, and that first one was still the, the top selling one compared to the, we ended yeah. up doing like five or six later. Anyways, but from that, got into advertising and I realized that, so we ran some Facebook ads for her and you like, this was the time where it's like, you put a dollar and you get like, 10 out. I mean, it was especially with like retargeting on Instagram and stuff. I mean, it was just absolute thousand percent glory days. So the other takeaway I had from this little stint in my life was that you can ask people for way more money if you make them money than if you build them a way to make money. And so it might sound like semantics there, but when I was building people websites, it was basically giving them a cash register. But like, if their business sucks, they would come and be like, hey, what's wrong with the website? Like, do all the diagnostics? Like, nothing. People just yeah. don't want your stuff. Um, that did not pay as well yeah. as actually making people money. And so that yeah. was the big switch flip. And so I basically made two lists of like all the things I'm really good at and all the things I really like doing. 
And wherever the most overlap was, that's where I started to narrow down to is really marketing technology. And uh, that was digital marketing for me. And so from that, ended up leveling up, ended up uh, doing all the... I did a stint at a luxury real estate firm doing their all their advertising stuff, then did Whole Foods. So I was like super Austin. I used to ride a boosted boards to the Whole <laughs> Food HQ. I had a man bun. Like this is yeah. total, me total too, Austinite. Yeah. yeah, really, really, really leaned into that. So I was running all the paid media for the recruitment vertical Whole Foods. Then I did Agency Life, got to work with uh, WAG, Clutter, all these really big venture-backed apps, got to work with Oprah. That was really cool. Then I started my own agency. And then um, from that, I landed at Triple. Amazing, man. It is, uh, it's funny when you recite it back, you're like, oh, it all makes sense. But while it's happening, you're like, what the fuck is going on? Like, it, it, you, you kind of just follow momentum in life, but like, yes, it doesn't feel so linear when you tell it back as kind of its own story. It feels like, wow, this actually all makes sense when I, when I put it together. Yeah, I think so. I think for me, my biggest, cause it was definitely hard, man. Like, I, uh, I did a stint at a nonprofit when I was younger. And that was like, again, nothing against nonprofits. It was just, just like the antithesis to my world where it was just like, it wasn't, anyways, not to shit yeah. on nonprofits, but yeah. just, just not my thing. Yeah. But for me, the, I guess like without sounding too cheesy, the biggest thing that kind of kept me going was there was kind of two axioms that I was really driving my life at that time. Mm. One was sharpen the sword every day. What's one thing that I did to become better at X? What's one thing I learned today? What's one thing that I did to insulate myself from poverty today? Like kind of really in this just success isn't... To your point, if you look at success extrapolated across a long spectrum of time, what happens is you realize there wasn't these big aha moments. It was a lot of just grinding. And then that grinding and aggregate creates this magnificent art piece. And I think yeah. that's, you know, it's just really hard to, like, even when you look at the greats, like Jordan, Kobe, whoever, like, their work ethic is absurd. Like, it's yeah. not like these people are just supremely talented, like they are, but you layer on a, a work ethic. So that was kind of a really big thing for me is like, what am I doing to get better daily? Yeah. And then the other thing was, when the universe comes knocking, I will be ready. And so it was kind of the two sides of the same coin, if that makes sense. But yeah. and so you just grinding and grinding and grinding, and when that opportunity comes up, you're as prepared as you can be. Yeah. It'll go your way or it doesn't, and then you can yeah. kind of just keep leveling up. And that that was kind of always essentially how I wouldn't say that that my actions made sense, but I think once I got that clarity and intentionality in my life of like control what I can control when there's big swings, take the yeah. big swing, but don't be attached to it like i'm not super religious but there's some semblance of like destiny slash fate Mm -hmm. built in there where you you have to have some sort of psychological blow off valve whether that is your spirituality or something like that to be Mm -hmm. like hey this is all going to work out because you know there's some dark times in there man i had a time where my the gal i was dating at the time had cancer my dad had cancer and my mom died and i was at a job that i hated like all within two to three months but like we were talking offline Sometimes, like, one, it's really hard to get through all that stuff. But when you do make it through, there's this understanding that, dang, that was really gnarly. And, like, that's probably, like, at the lowest end of the gnar. Yeah. And I made it out of that. So, like, whatever happens, I know I can survive some really, you know, challenging circumstances. And I think that that's one of the takeaways from trauma or whatever you want to call it. Just things that, like, suck that you have to deal with. But... 100%, 100%, man. 100%. Well, I want to just thank you for for sharing that uh, so openly. It's funny, like, you listen to someone and you're just like, dude, yes, I hear you, I feel you, and I totally understand. So on my side, so first thing, you said something right now, and like Kobe came to mind, where it's like that kind of pursuit of figuring things out is like, he said, I remember after a game, like game four or something, they came back, he said, the job's not finished. And like, I literally think about it every day. Like no matter how good something goes, it's like, all right, cool. Like we won, job's not finished. And like, at least the season ends, right? And you're like, okay, we start over. Life doesn't end like until it ends, right? And so it's kind of like this never ending kind of thing. I think one of the things that took me a long time and I'll get into the the meat of it was like, 
our time horizons are so short in terms of the actual kind of game. You need to have short ones to kind of like these little base camps, if you will, up yep. the mountain that you're climbing. But if you look at it and you're like, okay, I'm going to get this base camp and it's over. Like I've conquered like, nah, dog. Like life will always find a way to give you something new to climb, whether it's psychological, physical, whatever it is. And you just, you get through it. So my, my story, I went to U of A my freshman year, fell in love with cocaine and Oxycontin and left. Uh, and so, <laughs> <laughs> and so I uh, went home, was addicted and dropped out of school for a while. Yep. Not clean. Like, shout out my parents. You guys rule. They saved me. But like, in that time, I did OD at one point. And so, what you said about like, dude, all this shit's gravy. Like, I literally have a tattoo that says essentially that more eloquent. Uh, It doesn't say this shit's gravy on my back. But essentially, it's like, dude, I I should be in the ground. You know what I mean? A bunch of my homies from that time are. And so like, all of this stuff is beautiful. Life is incredible. I'm blessed, grateful, all those things. So came home after that, got really obsessed with film and uh, eventually went to film school in LA, not USC, did not accept me. Fuckers. Um, Went to LMU, got a writing degree, then got my MBA, or not my MBA, sorry, my master's uh, in, uh, in film production. And as my thesis film, I decided to do a feature because I like, all the guys I, I looked up to had done something at like 25. And I'm like, yeah. I'm the fucking man. I'm just as good yeah. as them. Not true. Yeah. But like, I'm going to do it. So we raised a bunch of money. And I say like bunch of money, not venture money, but like a bunch of money for a 25-year-old film, uh, you know, film yeah. snob. We made the movie, got into a handful of film festivals, got distribution and started trying to make other stuff. Graduated and realized like, wow, this indie filmmaking does not pay money. Like, and my dad always said, you know, kids and your family doesn't eat dreams, right? You got to like, just make the bacon. And so a lot of lean times, like you said, was making just no money, making like commercials and videos for all of these like indie LA um, fashion brands, which was fun, but again, doesn't necessarily pay or pay your rent. So I was driving Uber at the time, legit. This is back when it was kind of fun, but drove Uber a bunch did a bunch of like crazy odd jobs, the kind of stuff yeah. you like you never want your kids to ever do, but like yeah. actually makes you, I don't want to say a man, like an adult, if you will. No one to be reductive, but like made a man out of me. I and think it I also, no, go. When you, one of the, and we're both old, so we can both get yeah. on our soapboxes. One <laughs> of the things that I am realizing in the younger generation yeah. is that there's this, kind of grass is greener and there's these this under like i don't want to say entitlement because that's judgmental but there's a certain aspect of like dude like my first job was like working at a custard shop like there's a certain aspect of like those that time and those jobs can do one of two things one they can make you really sad because you don't want to be doing it or two they can be a means to an end where it's like, I never want to end up here. This is not what I want to do with my life yeah. or my time. I don't want to have to clock in and clock out and like, like all this control over my time. But at the same time, it needs to be on you where again, like what skills are you building? Like there, there's never been a better time to be excellent and a never mm-hmm. a worse time to be average. Where like mm-hmm. back in the day, dude, like when our dads grew up, dude, like you could, I mean, our dads are a little different because different they're both immigrants, but like, you can do the average things, especially if you were born in the West and like yeah. you had a great job, you had a great yeah. life, you had all the, where now yeah. it's like, it's really hard to kind of be in that middle of the pack yeah. because there's just so many ways that you can learn skills to yeah. be, you know, yeah. and you don't need to be a bazillionaire, but you can build your own little empire. Kevin Kelly has that great essay, a thousand true fans. And I, I think it's spot on, but anyways, I totally, no. totally hijacked your flow. No, so, no, so- no, 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 no. It's not that interesting of a story. So I just, I, one brand came to me and they're like, hey, look, what do we do with this video? And I'm like, that's not yeah. my fucking problem, dude. Like, yeah. you do it. <laughs> <laughs> and like, well, can you figure it out? Like, we'll pay you some money. I'm like, oh, money. Okay, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Like, I, like you just want so me happens. to, like, yes, yeah, so like, just pay my OnlyFans site. And so went and like watched a bunch of videos on ads, right? Yeah. As one does, pre-Dar Denny, shout out. And like the numbers came back and looked good. 
And they're like, hey, do you want to do this more regular for me? And I'm like, money? Like, I literally would do anything. And so I was doing the film thing, same time. Yeah. Um, but worked, ended up working there for four years. Built like the e-com business, got it to, you know, mid, high seven figures with like they didn't yeah. invest any money, which is totally fine. And I left to go to an agency, then went to, you know, got into tech after that. Yeah. Specifically, I worked at House and a couple of places. But um I think like the most interesting thing about all of that, and then obviously I landed at Pencil where we're like right. I am now. Um, after all that, I think the the thing, you know, you said the like one of the axioms, you said I the thing I picked up over time, there's two. One, there's an upward bound on talent, right? Like, Say that you, differently. You'll hit a ceiling. The talent has a ceiling, right? Like you can only there's like you'll get to, for instance, you can get to like Can I can I give you a little I think yeah, more clarity that's because I get what you're saying. Yeah. There's a ceiling to a return on talent. Yes, absolutely. Like that, I'm tracking can, what you're saying now. Like yeah. how much value can can you abstract from your talent? So we're talking about Kobe and Michael. Yep. There are guys who had the same level of athleticism as them who came to the league, probably more that never panned out whatsoever. Yep. The thing that set them apart is the obsession with sharpening the sword daily yep. for decades, right? Yeah. And then after they- And you combine that with talent. Exactly. And so the thing I learned- You have the Muggsy Bugs that still hoops, but they like every single- Spudweb, yeah. Every single disadvantage. Yeah. Go on basketball reference, kids, and and look up Spudweb and Muggsy Bogues. You have no (laughs) idea who those fuckers are. G-moves. Yeah. Nobody will get Uh these references. The other pop in that now DVD or that now CD while you jam. Jock jams, let's go. (laughs) Number 27 <laughs> is the best one. Um, <laughs> the other thing that was that I learned during that time was I don't want to ever be the smartest person in any room that I'm in because that means that I have not surrounded myself with people that are making me up my game on the daily, right? And so it's a very challenging thing to do and you have to seek it out. And so I became obsessed with either finding communities that I could be in where I was like, man, all these people are fucking legends just by the way that they talk, the things that they talk about, oh, I'm going to follow these people on Twitter and just ups- be obsessed and try to get them on a call with me. And dude, I'm the most annoying. I mean, you know, I'm the most annoying motherfucker in the world. Like, I'll just text and text and text. And you just kill them with kindness. Like, oh, yeah. that's aw- Dude, I just sent this guy a liquid death call so he'd get a liquid death call so he'd get on this uh, this pod with me. Bribe. Those two Bribe things. confirmed. And once you combine those two things, with your desire to improve and the rigor. This is the number one thing I said. Like, look, all the stuff we you and I talked about is grit. But if you can combine rigor and grit together, like, bro, sky is the limit, man. Yeah, and this is something that's really, really important. So first off, I was a fantastic diatribe, loved it. The idea, this was something that was really, so there's a, a, a book, and some people might have mixed views on it, but there's a book called The 48 Laws of Power. It's really 48, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's, it's actually really good. Robert, Robert Greene. Yeah. Robert Greene, fantastic. I got to work with Ryan Holiday, his protege, who yeah. went on to do a bunch on Big Stoic. Yeah. He's fantastic. Yeah. He's actually Amazing. out here in Bastrop. Just a, really gets it human and a sensational marketer. And yeah. he kind of had a really interesting career interesting arc as well because yeah, he was story. he used to be over at um, American, American Apparel. Apparel. Yeah. Doing some really like interesting but yeah. possibly sus, you know, marketing <laughs> tactics. Yeah. Anyways, wonderful human now, fantastic. Uh, he he was a great on ramp for social. Anyways, I totally lost my train of thought. The to- a few things that was really easy for me to take negatively, and I had to really shift my frame. And it also going back to the things you put your time towards is just because something takes a really long time, and just because you put a lot of effort into that, does not equate it's actually valuable. And so you can get into a really personal like conundrum because you're like, oh my gosh, look, I did this thing. And it's like, it's a local maximum, right? Like that's really important to you, but it's not a global maximum where it's really important to everybody. And that was something that was really hard at first when you're building and learning things where it's like, look, if you have kids, you get it, right? Like, look at that, I can jump off the curb or whatever. And like, like, okay, I get it. I get that you can do that. And like, that was something that, I really had to find really kind of that internal locus of control where it's like, yeah. I'm doing these things for me and that these little cool milestones and wins are actually for a greater good that is actually going to be valuable. Like I am working towards getting this skill set or something like that. And so 
that and another thing I would say too is if you can get into a decent agency, it's actually a great way to learn SOPs, to learn how to deal with clients. But there's also, again, like the LeBrons of the world where it's like, if you have the charisma and you can either run a team and or have the skill set to do it, you can put on four to five clients and like, you're going to be fine. But some of those people don't have that personal skill set and they're actually really great. So there's another book that I would recommend. It'll be the last book recommendation. I'll stop rambling is the E-Myth. And that's another thing where I think there's a lot, especially in our kind of circle because entrepreneurship is so rampant. Like everybody's wanting to start their own business. Not everybody should. man. Like I was this big believer of everybody should have their own business. There's some people that really value clocking in, clocking out. There's some people that really value like, Hey, I come from X to Y. I do what I'm told. And like, I, I, not that like these are low skill people, like I don't want to obsess about this one thing day in and day out. And I, once you start a business, you will. There's just no way around. Like when I was at Triple Whale as CMO, dude, I could never turn it off. And that was yeah. one of the the big challenges. And so go read the E-Myth. It's basically just because you're a good baker doesn't mean you should start a baker, but you can still yeah. make a bunch of money from yeah. being a baker. So yeah. anyways. I feel you, man. I think uh, what has happened and we'll, we'll actually dive into our B2B stuff right now, but I think this is a lot of value in here. For the kids, a lot of meta meta concepts here, man. Like, yeah. it, I wish I would have had kind of a lot oh, of that stuff because it, it, I mean, it really. Did you listen recently to um, what's these guys, the operators, so like Panzer? Oh yeah, and, um, like oh. it's fantastic, right? Frank, like, yeah, yeah. You never, you never hear any of the stuff behind the wall, and similarly, like people don't really give you this stuff. They just kind of have their own hagiography hey about themselves that they tell over and over and over and over. And that's fine. You have to do it. You have to kind of beat the drum. But like, hey, man, I just came here. And I said I was, a, I was a drug addict. I was a filmmaker. Yeah. I didn't make any money. And like, okay, life has turned out pretty damn well, which means that if you haven't done any of those things, your life can be even better. It's really about like, how do you kind of set up the frameworks of your mind to be able to do that? I think the one thing you mentioned about entrepreneurship and like getting to a high executive level, if you will, and, and what it does to you is if you are willing to take the ride. It's what I always tell people like, look, if there's a storm, don't run away from the storm because it's coming for you, right? Run through the storm. And then on the other side is like happy days. It's a tornado thing. Like not that I'm from the Midwest. Like literally, dude, the obstacle is the way. way. Legitimately, like very, the simplest way my verbose way could say is just the obstacle is the way. So don't be afraid. Like, and actually, no, be afraid. It's okay to be afraid, but don't like don't equivocate, don't stop. Like you're going to get, you will, you will absolutely 100% get through it. Human beings, this is the reason not that we're doing a great job all the time, but there's a reason why it's like the kings of the, of the world. And it really comes down to, we're just the, the most, the creatures that can adapt, the most adaptable creatures, right? We always find a way, like a, a lizard can't figure out every single thing of how to adapt. A human being, how many times have they had to adapt to different ways of doing it? They can't go into the water and just be okay, yeah. right? So anyway, we want to talk about brand as a product. So what are we? We're yeah. at 25, <laughs> 26 minutes in. Uh, we probably could have done the entire pod on this on this actual topic. You know, since we're already long, let me give you one more life lesson since me, I can man. be my old man on the lawn. Yeah will really help you, especially when you're younger, is think of the world in either two paradigms. You have more time than money, which when you're younger, that's what you do, or you have more money than time. And like, you can really understand paradigms like that because what happens is you can understand why you're getting money from people. You can understand like, hey, maybe I shouldn't take this like really crappy job that's really going to annoy me. Maybe I can do some door dashing or something, live super lean and learn on YouTube and use that time where... That's the one challenge when you are on the come up is you need to balance that cash flow. But if you can keep that burn low and actually get more of your time back to then deploy into skill building time, that's going to be a faster pathway to getting to higher cash flow stuff. But that's Yeah, man. 100%. So guys, we're going now down the path of how do you build brand as a product? I don't think... There's a better person we could chat with about this than my compatriot right here. So I said it on the last one. I'll say it again. Kind of the way I look at this in general is 
people are going to use their stuff. It's triple. They're using it, you know, all day, every day. But let's just use kind of, I'll use my, the way I've been thinking about it for the last few years. People aren't going to use pencil every minute of every day. And there are products that you don't use every minute of every day. And so there are, there's a certain amount of emotional engagement that comes along with using it once a week, twice a week, et cetera, three times a week. It's great, but you don't have that kind of dopamine hit from seeing, you know, that logo in the top corner, logging in, logging in your phone. So how do you make sure that in between those little posts, if you will, there are canyons where people start doubting you, start doubting, like, why am I paying for this, et cetera? Like, how can you fill those gaps? And I really see the, the brand side of your marketing arm as the ability to do that, which is it's a product unto itself that needs to run parallel, but it can smooth out a lot of the dips because people fall in love with the brand. They fall in love with the people associated with the brand. And there's a lot of osmosis that is created that flows in and also flows out through word of mouth that actually allows more people to come into your product. So you've obviously dealt with this even on a much bigger scale than I have specifically, but that's how I look at it specifically. I'm curious kind of how you how you have framed it up in your mind to build these things over the last over the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I think all the macro things you touched at are spot on. There is one thing I would comment on is that depending on the SaaS app that you have, figure out what those actual user metrics you care about because like a weather app or something like that is going to be way more used than a travel app. Like people aren't traveling 52 weeks out of the year, but that doesn't mean the travel app sucks. You know what I'm saying? So like, I would caution you and make sure that you understand what the actual, what's success and what's not success. But to your point, for us, success is, and we love Shopify. They're the most amazing company ever. Harley's incredible. But for me, when I was running the marketing department, it was twofold goals. One, be synonymous with Shopify. So Shopify, hey, I want to start an e-commerce store. You install Shopify. Hey, I want to be profitable, you install Triple Whale. So how can we tighten that coupling was a very, very big kind of meta goal for me. And then ultimately also usage, right? But the way I thought about usage within Triple Whale, and again, this is going to be contextual to everybody, but we had what I like to call lean-in metrics and lean-out metrics. And so lean-in metrics would be these, like the daily dashboard, the things that you're going to be checking on almost daily, multiple times a day. So your ad spend, your MER, your performance, new customer ROAS, new customer CPA, the things that give you what's my net profit for today, the things that are going to change in a very short time period. And then we had those lean out metrics where you're starting to get more into uh, business analytics, if you will, where it's like, what's our AOV? What's our 60-day LTV, 90-day LTV, cohorts, bundling, things of that nature, where you're really strategizing for the quarter then you're planning out the war plan from what you've seen in the past, but you're not going to check those daily because you're just not going to see that much variation in those daily. And so those are the two ways that I approach that. And so with that being said, what I look at is essentially five days. So you can actually see it perfectly on our usage chart. Like media buyers are actually really good about (laughs) taking the weekends off for the most part, where we have this massive trough or valley, and then it peaks back up on Monday carries across pretty even slope and then drops down. Anyways, the too long didn't read there is when I was building out the communication strategy and also just kind of a caveat here, I think of brand as essentially the aggregation of all the touch points. And so that counts customer success, that counts paid media, all these things. So all those things. But for the most part, what we really focused on is like, how can we own every day of the week and have some sort of valuable touch point that will make this person's life better throughout that week. And so we have podcast that drops. So ad spend drops every Monday, Tuesday, we have whale mail. Wednesday, we have the whale webinar. We also have ocean hours on Tuesday as well. On Thursday, we have our whale mail wrap up. And then on Friday, we have the inside the whale where we wrap everything up. And so that's kind of how you can start to game plan. How can you build these touch points to stay pervasive in their mind But that has to, and I know it sounds snarky, cheesy, whatever, but it has to be rooted in some sort of value transfer to them. It can't just be, I need to have another brand touch point on the calendar because Rava said so. It has to be. And so sometimes there might not be, but then that's an opportunity for you to leverage AI, to do whatever, to then ideate around that hole in your strategy. But how can you be there for 
five days a week, maybe even six days a week. It'll be a little challenging to do seven because you have some spiritual stuff going into it yeah. where it's like you want to give some a little bit of scarcity to it. But yeah. anyway, too long didn't read. That's kind of the foundational yeah. layer is the communications. Yeah. The second thing would be virtual events. And then the third kind of like really kind of cherry on top of the tower is your organic presence, your relationship building virtually can then culminate in a few virtual events, maybe one every quarter or one. So we would do a roadshow every quarter and then we had the whaleys. And so that would be kind of this culmination where Mm -hmm. it's really cool to already have a little bit of a relationship online. And then you, it really starts to bloom when you yeah. have that in-person. And it makes the in-person events almost like a, a reunion, if you yeah. will. And so yeah. anyways, that was a big, long rant. No. But that's kind of how I was think, thinking about being omnipresent in terms of the brand touch yeah. point. No, I think it's like what you said is super impactful. I want to like really drill down on two things. First, how do I own some portion of every day and say like, okay, this is what I want to do what I need to do and what the customers need is value. And so yep. it sounds rudimentary, remedial, kind of whatever superlative you want to put put behind it, but it is not a guiding principle all the time. When you go, I mean, we all get shit, I get a shitload of emails and 98% of them are complete and utter garbage, like garbage. They're gap fillers, dude. Like for, for lack of a better term, they're like, I have to tell my boss I'm doing yeah. a newsletter because he read that on the growth vault that yeah. a newsletter is a really important part of the yeah. content strategy. Like, yeah. I think you're absolutely spot on. Keep your flow. No, I, I just think it's it's a really important thing to recognize. Like, yes, you should own as much real estate as you possibly can. The other thing I would point out is we're talking about pencil. So like we own, what do we have? We drop a pod Monday, newsletter, uh, Tuesday, newsletter, Friday, and then do a bunch of kind of like social organic content sure. in, the, in the midterm on those other days. And then we have other engagement stuff that goes out, events, et cetera. Not to the scale of you guys by any means, definite little brother on that. But I think when you break it down, when you're consistent, first you have to start. Like this is kind of the other one of many brands or companies, they sit there and they over-strategize. Like they over-strategize like, oh God, I got to do this. Like, dude, just put out a little... You don't have to put out, I mean, our newsletters are now long as fuck. And it's not a bad thing. It is predicated on, we're at issue 128, I think. Yeah. Like, yeah. you write 128 issues, you're just going to get better at delivering value and understanding what your customers or, you know, subscribers want and being able to give it to them. The first one, I I, mean, I went back and looked at some, they were in HubSpot, all the, the looked horrible content was very mediocre, but it's like, you just got to do it. And then you start kind of just playing around with it. And you can make these big step changes. You see something else that you like, you say, Oh, I want to be like that. But within my vertical, Oh, I need to narrow it down. Like one of the big unlocks for us was we were trying to do like an e-com thing. We're trying to be you, frankly. And I was like, you know what, man, people don't come to us for e-com. They come to us for creative. Let's talk about how all the e-com events flow into and are impactful for creative. And within two weeks of that, you saw like, everything open up, share rates open up, people messaging back and reply rates going crazy. And it was just because we said like, oh, this is the niche. This is what they came here for. Let's give them the cake that they actually ordered or some permutation of it rather than be like, hey, look, you're at our bake shop. You should have the tiramisu. It's like, dude, I just want fucking red velvet. Like, leave me alone. All right. Give me some red velvety kind of thing. If it's a cupcake, whatever it is, but just get me in the red velvet world. I don't want tiramisu. All right. That's for them. And you see that people stack them. They'll read five newsletters and one is about media buying, one is about economics, one is about creative and they kind of stack those things. I do it with podcasts as well. Like I, oh, I'm sure. 100% part of that. So I think I this think is important. The, no, it's, it's super important. And again, when you're starting a newsletter, there's one question you really need to answer and you need to understand, am I going to be broad or deep? Because the reason for that is if you're broad, then you can possibly, the goal there is to have essentially a quote unquote network. And what's valuable for a network? Distribution and reach. And then you're going to be able to sell one ad in that blah, 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 what have you. If you're going to go deep, you're going to, by definition, like media buyers might not really care about the creative because they're in this, like, if they haven't made the jump yet to like being a creative strategist yet, they care about, or like a Google person or something, right? Like, 
they're going to be looking at what's the best ways that I can optimize my Google spend. I don't care about new hooks in creative yeah. or whatever. Anyways, that's probably a bad analogy, but you get my point is the, if you're going to be broad or deep and if you're going to be deep and that narrow, I think that's a better pathway forward for a lot of company newsletters. Mm. But again, it's going to be contextual. So anyways, too long, didn't read. That's one of the things, the other thing that I would say in terms of newsletters is to your point, Chase, of always keeping that that value at and listening and looking at your unsubscribe rates, looking at replies. But what I think we did really successful, and if you look at most of the successful newsletters, maybe like Morning Brew and those those really big ones aside because they're broad, so I don't really consider them in the competitive set, is that you really want to write the newsletter to one person, not to the group. And it sounds cheesy and it sounds like, what are you talking about, Rabba? But being able to get an email from people, from a person, from Chase or from Rabba or what have you, a little tiny preamble, and then you go into the content has, for me anyways, been super, super effective. And there is this really cool relationship that builds up. If they reply back, you can kind of chat with them, et cetera, et cetera. So those would be the two things where... I think if you can nail those two things, you can really alleviate a lot of this post and ghost newsletter stuff where it's like, it's just people checking off a box. And I would also say that it's better. It's almost like bad sex. It's better not to send the newsletter if your newsletter sucks than it is to spam people's inboxes because you're going to end up... What I find successful in newsletters is be very upfront of the social contract you're offering where it's like, hey... You sign up for whale mail, you're going to get an email on Tuesday and on Thursday. Tuesday is going to be a long form essay. Smoke it if you got it. Really big brain burner. Thursday is going to be that morning boo wrap up style. That's it. And so we're going to send out this blah, blah, blah. Because if you get outside of that, or if you start delivering really crappy content, you're violating that social contract and you're going to see a lot of unsubscribes or just the open rate starts to tank. I mean, it's it's funny because like it's essentially the same thing when you build a product, right? You send someone into your product and there's a contract like you signed up for this. This is on our website. This is what you signed up for. You've hooked in certain different platforms, yep. you know, with you know, through API. This is what I'm going to get out of it. Yep. If there is a massive delta between expectation and reality, have dealt with this a lot. So I can talk about oh, this for yeah. fucking days. But essentially the delta between expectation and reality. And so... Let me step back for a second. I remember I had a therapist and she said, you know, anxiety or frustration is when expectation and reality starts splitting apart. And the yep. gap is where anxiety and frustration and anger and rage live. Yep. And so you have to do those two things and bring them together. The thing is, you and I can rationalize that, have a communication as a human being. If you're on the other side of a computer and you've just put in your credit card to have this thing and either you've paid and or it could be some payment coming forward, you know, in a rolling sense, and you do 15, 20 minutes of work and then the outcome is like, dude, this is a C minus or a C or even a B. Like, fuck this shit. Like, excuse my French, mom, if you're listening to this, but like, honestly, how wretched do you feel? By the way, we sell software. When that happens to me when I use software, I'm frustrated right? So I think this all comes back to if you're productizing this whole thing, which is like, hey, Newsy, pod, events, community, education, all of these things, every experience has to feel like the gap between I have signed up and agreed to this contract that Raba has sent me and the delivery of value or the like the extraction of value from the from that thing. Well, the time, the time frames can't be too long. And then the delta between expectation and reality have to, you have to, I mean, it's a magic moment thing, right? What's the magic yes. moment? You get whale mail. You're like, shit, this is like very comprehensive. It's something that's top of mind, et cetera. Oh, the pod, they're talking on ad spend about things that matter to my business. It's yes. similar in this frame, which is you have to really like on a vertical level, by the way, so I'll even give one thing on our pod and then I want to hear from you on this. So like we have our, our pencil pod ad spend. And so I've gone through some weird, like dark nights of the soul kind of producing the thing. And it's like, you get into like, hey, what's your history of like, tell me about your life. And you do the tactical episodes and they fucking like, they just rock it up. And you're like, fuck this, man. I don't want this to be the thing that people want. But like, just the data says like, boom, that's what they want. And then you're saying, okay, well, how can I make this work for me? So that it's something I want to do. Because like, I talk about tactics all day. I don't want to talk about tactics. And so I'm on a little path right now of like, what are the heuristics that made your business work? 
And how can we yep. apply them to other people's business? Because these are kind of like, they work through time. It's like a stoic sayings, right? The obstacle yep. is the way. The obstacle is the way is 2000 years old. And it's still just as salient as it was, you know, 100%. in the time of Aristotle as it is today. But is it valuable? And will people take it and run with it? The tactical episodes still slap. Like they're five months old and I st- you still see a crazy amount of like downloads come in on the regular from them. So it's like, that's what people want and need. You got to give it to them. I think, so there's so much there, fantastic yeah. stuff. So the first thing is always start with the goal in mind. Or like, what's the goal of this thing? And so is the goal for you to have a podcast? Is the goal for you to get subscribers? Is the goal for you to drive demos, et cetera, et cetera? And then you modulate around that. The second thing is sometimes um, there's a great saying, horses for courses. And you're super flexy and you can do a bunch of really awesome stuff. But there might be a time where it's like, hey, I'm really great at interviewing people. I really am not super into tactics, but I know I need to, or I know that's what is driving the goal of the podcast. So then you just, that's what the money's for. Then you just find somebody, you figure it out, but at least you have what the goal is and you realize I'm the wrong horse for this course. So let me get, let me get somebody that is deep in the weeds, loves tactics, t- jams all day. Boom, yeah. there's your new podcast host, yeah. figure it out. And then the third thing, tying up the big episode in a bow, you have your expectation. We'll call this the departure point. And then you have your destination. We'll call this the value, the aha moment, this, oh my gosh, this product's incredible. Then the, to your point, the delta. So the distance between the expectation and the value generation moment is going to be a function of not only probable, but for lack of a better term, brand. And so the more on point your brand is, and when I say on point, the more your brand can align expectation with value, whether that be through community content education, the more you can truncate that trip. Everybody hates traveling long periods of time. And so that time to value is kind of the bridge. And what can happen is brands can give you skates, they can give you cars, they can give you ferries, they can give you all these different, more efficient, faster, get on the Concord like liquid death, where it's like, here's the expectation, here's the value. I got there in such a at a certain point you get to a teleportation. And so my whole point being is that I think that's a really interesting way to think of that is here's my expectation set by the brand. Here's the actual destination, the value, and then that bridge or how quick can we close that gap? Because Brand can help in a lot of ways, not only in expectation setting, but if I like you and it's like, okay, I like this person. So even though it's a really long train ride, guess what? I got Wi-Fi on the train. He's bringing me coffee. He's bringing me champagne. So I can't impact product as a marketing leader. Like I can suggest things, but like usually product is going to be out of your domain. You can have your suggestions. They never make it into the sprint. It is what it is. That's not your job, but your job is, okay, cool. I know I can't tear up this train tracks and do all these things, but you know what I can do? I can add really nice Wi-Fi into the plane or into the train. I can make the seats better. I can put people with you know different or with the same conversation points in the same car, so then they can have a really good time. I can have a party car. I can have a taxis car. And so I think that's kind of how I would see brand, as you were saying, to yeah. get like brands an accelerator across that time to value bridge. Yeah. And if you can't accelerate it. At worst, it makes the travel time from time or from expectation to actual value aha moment more pleasurable. It's so good, man. Like, that's so good. I hope everyone listened to that. And like, Rob and I are super into the, the analogies, but I think that's yeah. such an important Tell people one. learn in stories, I think. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. You have to frame it up in a way that people understand. If we start talking about wow, mao, dao, like, oh, okay, what is what? <laughs> Uh, what's your MQLs, SQLs? How did you do that? Like, did you did you hit with them with this? Like, no, no. Let's talk about the train ride. I'm still trying to like. It's so good. good. It's so yeah. good. I think the the thing you brought up. Let's make it a practical thing, right? Like, I open up a spreadsheet and I say, okay, I'm on a train ride. I'm going from San Diego to Los Angeles. Yep. Two hours, and at least in my in my car, I feel like something's happening. Like, what if there's you know there's no Wi-Fi on the train? They haven't kind of released that, and you get on there like, look. Yeah. First thing is Wi-Fi. Oh, should I get on my computer? I can get on my podcast. Like I can download some podcasts. Like, oh my God. Oh, wow. They bring around coffee. Oh, it's blue bottle coffee. Like, my, t- no. fantastic. Oh, wow. Like champagne. There's a networking car. I can go meet people. Oh, I, I can go meet, sit yeah, down. I can go meet like business. You know, you want to go like, it's the more you look at it and say, okay, like you said, distance to distance, 
five days from one to for the other. Yeah. Like, let's just call it like Monday through Friday is your opportunity to affect the train ride, right? Like people are yeah. going to use, they're going to do different things. You were talking about the spike. So like we would see a spike on Monday when people wanted to come and, and yeah. use so they could get their tests for the week going. And then on Wednesday, Thursday, when they're getting their weekends set up, right? And you see these yeah. dips, right? And you're like, okay, a lot of people have generated on Monday. A lot of people exported on Thursday. A lot of people have generated on Thursday and exported on Monday. Like they're getting themselves ready. In between yep. those times, what can I do to make their life better, right? 100%. 100%. And I think that's, that's like, that's all that I, it's funny because we get all very dedicated to, I just went monthly active user, weekly active, daily active, wow, mao, dao. Like, yep. how do we get these things? How do I look at a spreadsheet? I wrote up a, uh, like the failed experiment thing. And it was literally yep. this where I stopped thinking about the value that we could create for the customer. And I started thinking about the value that we could create for ourselves by extracting from them based on something that I thought would engage them, which is, I'll link it in the show notes, but essentially it was, we built a dashboard and I was like, okay, if we just show these numbers and send them an email, they'll come and use the platform more. And that is a terrible way to do business. There was a kernel in there, which is, hey, they want to know these things. We can build this thing so that they can understand yep. how they should be using creative and why they should be doing these things, et cetera. That version of it crushes. A year later, a year and a half later, I understand that because of it crashing and burning is like a bit hyperbolic, but it didn't do as well as what I forecasted that it would do. Now, that was all a function of thinking about the value that we needed, not the value that yep. they needed. And so yep. I think if you're looking at what Raba said, which is so, so beautiful, if you're thinking about what you can do to make the journey more pleasurable and valuable, and also, I don't know, I mean, I'm going to go into this a little bit, what brand does, but making your brand the thing that carries them along the journey allows you to have a lot more grace with the customer. Like a lot more grace. And that's not a technical thing, but let's just call it retention rate, right? Yeah. Well, not right? only that, dude, it, it also like, it's, I would call like, quote unquote, brand is like the equivalent of like organic on for D2C, or it's yeah. just like everything gets better. Like just yeah. every, like sales yeah. calls are easier. You can even like, if you are and have an outbound motion, if there's some like you understand who this is or like you know who the brand is, it's not really a cold email anymore. Yeah. Like there's yeah. all these things that matter. And I, I do want to punctuate something though. If you can truncate that time to value, that's the absolute path. There's something called automaticity and it's basically, it's not a fake word. You can actually look it up. But I, I got to keep up with Chase's <laughs> supreme vocabulary over here. But basically the too long didn't read is the more you can make somebody feel successful and the earlier that happens in that interaction, it's just supremely better. And it makes that automaticity or the habit to automatically use said product way higher. And so that's why some of the challenges of getting people into products that sometimes aren't perfectly polished yet, that yeah. automaticity goes way down, right? Like you try, like you were talking about that, right? Like you try the one thing where I remember when Siri first came out, which it still sucks, but. Yeah. Um, you'd be like, hey, set, schedule an event for Chase for a podcast, yeah. blah, blah. And you're like, oh. and then it fails like four or five times. Like, dude, I could have just fucking done it the, like <laughs> the old way. And I would have been done like three minutes ago. And yeah. so that is absolutely not the path. Yeah. But again, as you get into either a more established org or even the startup, like, again, marketing is at best an assistant coach for product. Mm. It'll always be a recommendation for marketing. It'll never be an actual decision. And so yeah. with that in mind, then, okay, what do I have to work with here? So the, the train, going back to the train analogy, the city of my CEO product, whatever, won't let me rebuild the train tracks. So then you go into that train analogy. Okay, cool. If I can't rebuild the train tracks to make the train faster or make the train track longer or shorter, so it, it's, you don't have to ride on the train for so long, then how can I leverage a brand to make the train ride yep. even more memorable, helpful, valuable, et cetera. So when I do get to the end destination, I don't feel like A, my time was wasted and B, the expectation was so out of line with the actual yeah. value destination. Yeah. Elon would be happy. We're just talking about first principles, right? That's it. Like, the it's literally, is, I, what do you yeah, what do you have? What can you do with it? How can you make it the most efficient version of that possible? Like first principle is a lot more complicated than that, but that's like the very kind of what you, if you break it down to a cellular level, like those three things, 
which is essentially deductive reasoning coined by our old friend Aristotle. What do you have? What do you know? Put them together, you know? Syllogisms. Syllogisms is what you can call it. Yeah. So I don't even know what that is. Look at this. Yeah. He's he's broken my brain. Um, 100% with you. There's actually, let me toss something in there and we can wrap up. There's uh, something by a really amazing guy, uh, Professor Clay Christensen. He's disruption theory, father, whatever, whatever, super smart. But anyways, he has this capabilities theory. It's kind of same, same, but different of what you described. Of Your capabilities are a function of three things, the resources, your priorities, and your processes. And there's actually a really great book called uh, How Will You Measure Your Life? Um, And he basically takes these frameworks and applies them to... uh, Because Jeffrey Skilling of Enron Infamy was one of his uh, students. So pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, I mean, for people that don't know, that was uh, Enron blew yeah. up. It was, I still think, the biggest financial fraud. I mean, it was Fortune 100. Was it bigger Fortune than, well, because it's a single company, massive. right? It's a single company. So it's bigger, bigger than Madoff. Massive, publicly yeah. traded. Well, yeah. the thing, too, Madoff wasn't public. Public, yeah. These yeah. were private investors. This yeah. is, you could buy Enron stock. Yeah, yeah. And it was absolutely. Well, dude, you've seen all the history crazy. on it. Like, they were smartest still, guys in the it was room. It's a buy. fantastic documentary. It was still a buy a week before it blew up. All the fucking so uh, smart, you so know, good. Goldman people, everyone at City, all saying like, "Yeah, this is amazing. You should buy it, Merrill." Everyone. So, so yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, um, smartest thing guys we talked about off, offline on Netflix, and I think it's a great place to kind of finish up. Is we were talking about this, and you brought it up, so I'm going to do a really janky job of explaining it because I want you to come in and just be the hero of of actually explaining it. And I think it it really is a perfect way to think about the framework you just gave us, but also kind of how you build a marketing engine. And so it was the idea of like going from steam powered to electric power and like the equal distribution that it provides you. And the fact that you can run multiple things in tandem and like the compounding effect of being able to do that is limitless is the wrong word, but essentially orders of magnitude more than you could do when you just had the steam powered, which it couldn't equally distribute those things. And so I think what's powerful, and I want you to go into kind of the theory and how that works with marketing, but I think when when you brought it up to me was when you get these things running and essentially like you have power running through paid and you have power running through organic and you have power running through product and you have power running through events and community, et cetera, and all of these things are starting to equally distribute back and forth, that's when the word of mouth engine starts going crazy, right? And yeah. your word of mouth coefficient gets better and better and better. Word of mouth coefficient is is essentially, if I acquire one customer, how many uh, customers can I expect to get from them based on them telling other people about me? So like sure. your CAC is 100 to acquire a customer, great days for B2B. You get them to do one third. It's like, okay, you can bring down your CAC 30%. Yeah. You get it one-to-one. It's like, dude, I, I just have an endless amount of free customers. Obviously there's an upward bound, but like I think a lot of people only focus on product virality instead of thinking about the human virality and kind of like those things we talk about contagions within groups, like one bad experience you tell 10 people. Yep. Also great experiences. I've literally experienced this through building through building Pencil. What a great experience or a great experience with just a brand as a product does 100%. and fans out, like the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon or six degrees, whatever yep. the fuck it is. So I'm curious about that theory, how you think it like ties this whole thing in a bow and like if you had to do like the practical first step towards getting that, how you would do that? Yeah, no, it's super amazing setup there. A couple things too in there is also one of the cool things about startups. So basically give you the high level, too long didn't read. The most old OG factories that were steam powered were designed in multi-levels because they wanted to have all the machinery around that power source because Anytime you get away from the power source, the longer away it gets, the more dissipated the power gets. Basically, it's inefficient where you don't get as much power to um, the machines if they're away there. So this sparked this whole new design of stacked factories, et cetera, et cetera. But when electricity came along, that totally changed the game. And so it was that paradigm shift of I didn't have to design the factory like that anymore. I could actually design it in this whole new way. And so, for example, like Henry Ford decided to have more the factory designed around the process being built. So it goes from stage A to stage B to stage C to stage D. And then that way you had these assembly lines for the electricity. 
And essentially the analogy there was, again, going back to all those things is there's going to be some times where there's inertia in architecture in a company that you're not going to be able to change. And this is kind of something we talked about offline of that's why they're suboptimal decisions. Because you just aren't, we were talking about how the um, Brazil and the uh, Latin cellular network was so advanced compared to a lot of the parts of the world, including the U.S., because they skipped a whole series of technology and they were basically building from the ground up with the best technology. We're in the States. We already had our steam factory, so there's only so much electricity we could actually wire into it because we had all these investments in these steam, the steam factory. And so basically the, the too long didn't read about all of it is, just understanding what paradigm you're operating in. Are you operating a steam paradigm, an electrical yeah. paradigm, et cetera? And then from that, design the factory. But if you're not able to impact the architecture of the factory, then this is when switching to that train analogy is really helpful because yeah. then you can understand where you can actually impact the control and the awesomeness on the brand. Mm. Yeah, I think that's I think that's super powerful. You want to get to this electric powered kind of thing where everything is yeah. evenly distributed, but it takes a lot, right? Yeah. I mean, if you go into the history of Edison and Westinghouse and we can go that's a whole pod by itself, but yeah. it took decades and yeah. what would be the equivalent to billions of dollars today of dev to get it right? and ruined lives, people died, marriages ruined, like madness, you know, all of those kind of things. And so there is an easier path for us. We don't have to do that because we're not trying to create electricity, which is start on the train and just figure out what are the things you can make people fall in love with and make them happy. And just keep pushing your product team to compress the time to value as much as possible and find that one yep. aha moment. And I always say, talk to as many customers as you can because 100%. if you're a marketer and you like people, like that's your mad, that's one of your special skills and people want to talk to you. They'll give you a lot of that stuff. And just look for the notes under the notes, right? People will say like, well, this maybe. And it's like, really, it comes underneath it, which is, for instance, you talked about some of the things that were uh, metrics in the dashboard that moved the needle for people. Like for us, it's a lot of like predictive analytics around like what's going to work, what's not, and just making sure people understand that stuff. And then they feel like, oh, wow, I can do this and I can do that, et cetera. Oh, my ads are fatiguing. I need to change it. Like those few things. Yeah, that's killer, man. Yeah, let me uh, add one more thing there. Maybe- to you and, and we can wrap up is yeah. when you are talking to people if you want new product ideas or ways to make your product better look for the hack people are so clever on ways to use your product oh. and you can ask them like oh actually i just do this 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 you're like what that is crazy cool i never would have thought of that so yeah. that's also just a little tidbit yeah. when you're interviewing them look for the hack because that's a really good place to either innovate and make that for them or yeah. maneuver the product in such a way that they don't have to do the hack yeah man that's bananas. I love that. That's such a great way to close out. So I do intros. Robert is outros. Oh, yeah. Let's go. Yeah, what do we got? We got so smartest guy in the room, Enron documentary. Watch yeah. that. Make sure that if you can't mess with the architecture of a company, which you're probably not going to be able to work on the train ride. However, this is also the startup kind of culture. Like if you see a better way to build the factory, boom, there's your startup. And that that's, gives you this competitive advantage of somebody that has a steam factory, again, is not only going to have the architectural impediments, but also just the cultural inertia of that company is going to be impossible to turn. So yeah. there's your opportunity as a startup where you can be this really um, new innovative way and think of how you would build the factory from the ground up. That is from a book called Power and Prediction, Sensational. There's also a really good podcast, The Best Like the Best, that the guy was on. What else we got? We have the fantastic newsletter from Pencil. Yes. How do they subscribe? Yeah, Weekly Sharpener. I'll I'll, I'll link it out here. Got the incredible one from Triple Whale. Boom, Whale Mail, every Tuesday, Thursday. Uh, You can triplewhale.com slash whale mail. Yeah, I think that's it. And I think this is going to be, what, I think episode two. So let us know how we can make these better. If you guys want us to go more into tactics, if you want us to go more into whatever, we are here to generate value for you all and uh, chat with a good buddy of mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we would probably do this anyway without sharing it with the world. So it's uh, it's just a bonus that we can share it with people. And hopefully, I always say this, if one person gets some value out of it, it's already a W for me. But, you know, a thousand people listen to us so we get some sponsors and get paid. You know, that's also... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I, I think that that's kind of the, the last thesis I'll leave it with is yeah. that content, community, things of that nature, um, at the beginning, they really have to be passion projects because yeah. it's really 
disheartening if you think that you're going to have this like blow up podcast in the first 20, 30 episodes, or if this blog article is going to go viral and stuff like that, you can't think like that. You have to think in these leading indicators of like, get the podcast done, do it your best, make it better next time. It's what we talked about time horizons, right? You got it. You got to just understand. You got to understand. Stack wins, baby. Yeah, stack wins and momentum begets momentum. So we're going to record more of these. So the momentum begets momentum. And we'll leave you with this last thing, consistency over intensity. I am absolutely, absolutely the, the king of the opposite of that. And it never yeah, plays yeah. out. Like get oh, those wins. Don't be a hall of famer one time a week. Like yeah. win five to seven times yeah. a week. And, it, it, and it all the hall of famers you love, all the hall of famers you love that we talk about them afterwards more consistent. or 25. It's a, it's a, what is that? The overnight success 10 years in the making, right? Those guys. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Michael Jordan wasn't Michael Jordan. He practiced for 25, 30 years before he became a champion. 100%. You know? Nope. All right, guys. Loved it. Growth Vault number Thanks. two in the books. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening. And uh, Rabba, thank you for sharing. I leave every time, every session uh, oh, mindful. I know, I know podcast was good when I'm smiling and I have more energy yeah. than I did when I came on. So you're the best. Chase, yeah, thanks yeah. for letting us drop some auditory awesomeness in your yeah. ears. And we'll see you guys next week. Yeah, see you guys.